You are listening to community-supported radio, KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. It is 6 p.m. Monday, April 12th, 2021. I'm Joyce Miller, and this is the KVMR Evening News. Right after the BBC headlines, in the shadow of the Derek Chauvin trial, Racial Reckoning reports on the police shooting of Dante Wright over the weekend near Minneapolis. Then the California report explores the question, can California teach the rest of the country to love electric vehicles? National Native News reports on pressure from the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe on the Biden administration to shut down the Dakota Access Pipeline. And after a roundup of regional news and weather, Al Stoller talks to Shelley Covert of the Nevada City Rancheria Nisanon Tribe about its ongoing fight to restore federal recognition. This is Racial Reckoning, the Arc of Justice. Here's Samantha Hong Long with today's update. The Minnesota Bureau of Criminal Apprehension is investigating a police shooting Sunday afternoon in Brooklyn Center, just north of Minneapolis. According to his mother, 20-year-old Dante Wright was pulled over for hanging an air freshener from the rear-view mirror of his car. Moments later, he was lying dead in the street. All he did was have air fresheners in the car and he told him to get out of the car. He got out of the car and his girlfriend said they shot him. Mm. He got back in the car and he drove away and crashed. And now he's dead on the ground since 147. Nobody will tell us anything. Hands up, don't shoot! A crowd gathered at the scene. Many of them came straight from a protest at St. Paul Police's Western District, where they were marking what would have been Justin Tigan's 36th birthday. Tigan died at the age of 24 in 2009. His body was found in a recycling bin hours after fleeing an encounter with the police. Meanwhile, at George Floyd Square, three new full-size billboards created by local artists have been put on display. Setu Jones says his piece stands as a reminder of what this work means for the community. With all the work that we've done, too, and with this work here, it still is all about rethinking public safety. I mean, that's really why we are here. In the billboard, Floyd's face floats against a blue background of words including revolution, reform, and repair. The billboard project is funded by the Northeast Sculpture and Gallery Factory. It is part of a community effort to share and preserve art made to memorialize Floyd's death. For the Racial Reckoning Project, I'm Samantha Honglong. Racial Reckoning, the Arc of Justice, is produced and supported by Ampers, diverse radio for Minnesota's communities, in partnership with KMLJ Radio and the Minnesota Humanities Center, online at racialreckoningmn.org. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. Two of the largest school districts in the state are welcoming students back to campus today. San Diego and San Francisco Unified are both opening for in-person learning. In San Francisco, only the district's youngest students will be back in the classroom, while in San Diego, all students will be given the opportunity to return to campuses. Brandon Harrison is a youth pastor with children enrolled at schools in the San Diego Unified. He said it was a tough decision, but he's decided to keep his kids at home for the time being, despite all the help from the school district. They've done awesome with our first grader, done these probably the last three weeks, like practice days of wearing your mask and all right, let's go wash your hands and all right, let's make sure that we're not touching our eyes. And they've really coached the kids throughout this time and even our, our fifth grader as well. But we've we just know our kids and we're like, we're going to wait throughout the summer The latest parent survey in San Diego found that about half of the students in the district will continue with online learning.
And there's been much good news related to the fight against COVID-19 in recent weeks, as more Californians get vaccinated and infection and death rates fall. But the pandemic continues to take a heartbreaking toll on the state. Over the weekend, COVID-19 deaths surpassed 60,000 people in California, according to some counts. That represents about 10.5% of all U.S. COVID deaths. Looking ahead, there's both good and bad news on the vaccination front. This Thursday, California will make all adults as well as 16 and 17-year-olds eligible for vaccinations. But the supply of Johnson & Johnson doses will be limited for the next two weeks, which could impact how many people get their first shot. Turning to transportation, the Biden administration wants to spend tens of billions of dollars developing electric vehicles and a national network of EV charging stations. So can California, with its long experience promoting electric cars, teach the country about how to move forward and what mistakes to avoid? Well, yes, says electric vehicle industry analyst Chelsea Sexton. Sexton is an ardent EV booster, but she also doesn't shy away from talking about problems in California's efforts to promote electric vehicles. I recently met up with Sexton to talk about these issues, starting with the growing range of EVs now on the market. Diversity has always been our number one challenge with electrification. It's always been sort of little tiny compact cars or really expensive stuff and not a lot in the middle. We're starting to fill in that middle. There's starting to be more crossovers available, more pickup trucks. So more of that diversity is coming, which is important. No single car works for everyone, gas or electric. And so the more we can get the different flavors for everybody involved, the better off this overall market will be. We've had our very own ambitious statewide goals when it comes to EVs. I think formally speaking, we still want to reach 5 million electric vehicles in California by the year 2030, which isn't far from now. It's only nine years down the road. There's only a fraction of cars I see on the road that are still EV, even here in California. I I know nationally it's 2%, maybe a little higher here in, in this state. So what are we doing wrong after so many years of rhetoric and goal setting about these kind of vehicles? Practically speaking, the number one challenge has been lack of product, whether that's affordable or other sorts of variety that we've we talked about before. The second biggest problem is awareness. A shocking number of people, even in California, do not realize that their electric cars are available or how they work or what they are, or they have such negative perceptions about them. They're golf carts and they can't perform the way a real car would, that they're unwilling to consider them. And many, I mean, two thirds of Californians are unaware that there are incentives available to help you buy them. So all things awareness, whether it's straight up vehicle marketing or larger sort of issue types of things are really important. The third is dealers. We can throw all the money at the world on developing cool EVs and marketing the heck out of them. But if you walk into a dealer and some guy at Ford says, no, 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 you'd really rather have the gasoline version, we're not solving the problem. We've just wasted billions. And infrastructure remains an ongoing perception issue in that most non-EV drivers don't realize how many stations there are. They're sort of constantly looking at charging charging stations. stations. Yeah, we need more chargers. We need more chargers. And one of the lessons we learned from the 90s on is we actually need more signs. More signs? More More like wayfinding signage. That is an an underestimated stumbling block in that people are often driving past chargers all the time, not realizing that's what they are, because we're used to driving past gas stations that even if the brands are different, the stations all kind of look similar. That's not the case with chargers. And we don't have universal signage or anything that says a charging station is right here. (laughs) 
you know, keep that in mind as you drive past it every day when you're thinking about your next car to buy. And it's such a super cheap and simple thing compared to lots more charging, but it's part of the problem. We forget the brilliant basics. So when it comes to the future of our charging infrastructure here in the country and here in California, again, Biden administration, big goals there. It squarely sees charging stations as part of America's infrastructure now, like roads and highways and bridges. It wants to see hundreds of thousands of them installed. What's the one piece of advice you would give the Biden administration in relationship to the California experience about how to do that smartly? Fast charging has become vastly overhyped relative to when it is actually useful and what it costs. It's being pitched right now as the answer to all apartment dwellers and things like that, sort of the gas station model of let's just put a bunch of really fast chargers in the middle of a city and people can rely on that, which has its place. It is also the most expensive charging in our ecosystem to use. So telling apartment dwellers and often those with the least economic means that they should rely on the most expensive charging is not something that's ever going to fly, but no one's having real conversations about how to address that. It's really inside baseball, but there's aspects of public charging fees that are three times as expensive as they are in Europe, not for any good reason other than that's what providers here are used to getting away with charging. And in order to make all of this infrastructure deployed accessible, affordable, reliable, we have to address those issues. We can't just throw that much more money at this and hope it all goes well. We've been doing that for 25 years. Chelsea Sexton, EV advocate slash explainer of the pros and cons of EVs. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you for letting me crash your party. Support for the California Report comes from the law firm Perkins Coie, a trusted legal advisor to innovative companies and industry leaders throughout California and the world. Learn more at PerkinsCOIE.com. Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Ocean Institute, working to advance the frontiers of ocean research, sharing the connection between life on land and life at sea with everyone everywhere. Stanford Medicine, protecting your health and providing dependable care with safe in-person appointments and video visits. StanfordHealthCare.org slash Adapting Care. And that is the California Report for Monday, April 12th. We are a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez. Thanks for listening and have a great Monday. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. Representatives of the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe say the Biden administration should take action against the Dakota Access Pipeline. Standing Rock and three other tribes have sued the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers for issuing an illegal permit for the pipeline under the Trump administration. Now they say President Biden should not leave it to the courts to decide whether the pipeline should be shut down. Victoria Wicks reports. Brandon Maui is a councilman with the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe. He says President Joe Biden should follow through on his promise to become a leader in environmental battles and protect the Missouri River from potential oil spills from the Dakota Access Pipeline. So it's not just the rights for uh, Standing Rock to have access to those clean waters or to ensure that those waters are clean, but also millions of people downstream. Maui says President Biden should do what other administrations have not done, require U.S. government agencies to sit down with tribes in nation-to-nation consultation and take seriously the expertise of tribal leaders. Maui made his comments at a news conference following an April 9th hearing in a D.C. federal court where a lawyer for the Corps of Engineers told the judge the agency doesn't intend to take action on the pipeline for at least a year after an environmental study has been completed. In the meantime, the pipeline operates without an easement. Standing Rock's attorney is Jan Hasselman of Earth Justice. 
He says in granting permits, the Corps of Engineers has historically treated tribal consultation as a box to be checked. Hasselman says the Corps should consult with tribes as an opportunity to learn. If they had listened to the tribe from the beginning and reconsidered where this pipeline was sited, this whole thing could have been avoided, but they didn't. Another federal court hearing is set for April 19th. In the meantime, Hasselman and Maui say Standing Rock will continue to pressure the Biden administration to step up. For National Native News, I'm Victoria Wicks in Rapid City, South Dakota. Oak Flat, a sacred site in Arizona, is a proposed copper mining site. Some locals against the project virtually attended one of the affiliated company's shareholder meetings Friday in London. Emma Gibson from Arizona Public Media has more. The company proposing the mining project at Oak Flat is Resolution Copper. It's a subsidiary of Rio Tinto and BHP. Roger Featherstone, the director of the Arizona Mining Reform Coalition, is one of the people who challenged Rio Tinto at its meeting and brought up its destruction of sacred rock shelters in Australia. They said that they had not broken the law in blowing up the caves, but that clearly they should have gone beyond the written law to do what was right. But at Oak Flat, they're clearly not planning on doing that. Multiple lawsuits have been filed over the project, some of which focus on religious freedoms and others environmental impacts. For National Native News, I'm Emma Gibson. The Muscogee Creek Nation in Oklahoma announced Friday the purchase of two mobile health units to deliver COVID-19 vaccines to underserved areas. The tribe's health department will travel throughout the Muscogee Reservation and vaccinate both Native and non-Native people. No advanced appointments are required. The tribe recently added the one-dose J&J vaccine for those who may find it challenging to get the two-dose vaccination. A mobile clinic was held over the weekend and events will be updated online at creekhealth.org. Tributes are pouring in from across the country on social media for LaDonna Brave Bull Allard. Her family announced her passing on social media Saturday after battling cancer. The historian, advocate, and grassroots leader is well known for her fight against the Dakota Access Pipeline and helping found a cultural camp to oppose the pipeline near Cannonball, North Dakota. Services are being planned for this weekend in Fort Yates. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. This reminder to get your COVID-19 vaccination is provided by the Association of American Indian Physicians and the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention who support this show. Info at aaip.org or cdc.gov slash coronavirus. Support by the Sanoski Chambers Law Firm, championing tribal sovereignty and defending Native American rights since 1976 with offices in Washington, D.C., New Mexico, California, and Alaska. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. The Nevada County Board of Supervisors will hold its regular bi-monthly meeting at 9 a.m. Tuesday. The public can watch and listen by going to the public comment kiosk outside the Rood Center, by calling in via telephone, or by viewing online or on television. The Sacramento Bee reports that Covered California, the state's subsidized private health insurance program under the Affordable Care Act, is about to get a lot cheaper. Some Californians with high-deductible plans could end up paying as little as $1 a month for coverage, the Bee story says. 
because of about $3 billion in new subsidies from the COVID-19 economic relief package signed by President Biden, the state-run program's rates will drop starting with the May premium payments. The lower rates will kick in automatically for the roughly 1.6 million Californians already enrolled, Executive Director Peter Lee told The Bee. The average covered California customer now pays about $130 a month in premiums, though the figure varies widely based on income and type of plan. Although the insurance is purchased through Covered California's platform, customers get coverage through major carriers such as Kaiser Permanente and Western Health Advantage. Lee told the Bee that Californians who've been spending $150 or $80 a month will see their out-of-pocket expenses cut in half. Existing customers won't have to do a thing to get the benefit of the additional subsidies, Lee said. Governor Newsom's plan to reopen California for business as usual by June 15th depends on a steady supply of vaccine and low hospitalization rates. But that two-month deadline leaves little time to convince vaccine-hesitant Californians that the shots are safe and effective and the best tool the state has for getting back to some sort of normal. California Health and Human Services Secretary Dr. Mark Galley said last week that state officials were working to address vaccine skepticism through a $40 million public awareness campaign. Without so-called herd immunity, the point at which the majority of the population is protected against the virus, California risks prolonging the pandemic. 46% of Californians over age 16 had received at least one dose of a COVID-19 vaccine, according to the state's vaccination dashboard. Those numbers are expected to dramatically increase when the state officially opens availability to everyone 16 and up on Thursday. More than 57,000 doses of vaccine have been administered to Nevada Countyans. Public health experts say that at least 70 to 85 percent of the population needs to be vaccinated to reach herd immunity. Late Monday, Nevada County Public Health reported 32 new confirmed COVID-19 cases since Friday. According to Ubinet.com, the Centers for Disease Control reports that about 27% of Nevada County residents age 18 years and older are fully immunized. That includes half of Nevada County residents 65 and older. In a poll last month by the Public Policy Institute of California, 21% of those surveyed said they are unlikely to or definitely would not get the vaccine. Placer County Public Health announced Sunday that it has almost 2,000 slots available this week for any Placer resident 16 and older to register for an appointment for a COVID-19 vaccination at the county-run clinic in Roseville. Appointments can be booked at placer.ca.gov. Many of the appointments use Pfizer, the only vaccine authorized by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, for people under the age of 18. Additionally, Placer County Public Health encouraged residents to register at myturn.ca.gov, where it will be posting additional appointments later this week. In the weather forecast for our region, a slight cooling trend for the next three days. After that, daytime highs gradually rising with temperatures in the low 80s next weekend. Tonight in Nevada City and Grass Valley, clear with light and variable winds and a low of 52 degrees. On Tuesday, sunshine in the morning, giving way to clouds and a 30% chance of showers during the afternoon, with a high of 64 degrees and a low of 49. In Truckee tonight, clear with a low of 29 degrees. 
Tuesday in Truckee, mostly sunny early, becoming mostly cloudy, with showers developing later in the day and a high of 51 degrees. Tuesday night in Truckee, a 50% chance of snow showers with a low of 25 degrees. Snow accumulation of around 1 inch is possible. In Sacramento, clear tonight with a low of 48 degrees. Tuesday in Sacramento, sunny with a high of 79 and a low of 47. The Nisanon, the native people who have lived in the foothills for millennia, are setting up shop, literally, in Nevada City. Al Stoller gets the details from Shelley Covert, spokesperson for the Nevada City Rancheria Nisinon tribe. Shelley, the County Board of Supervisors passed a very important resolution recently. Give us a little bit of history and tell us what happened. The Nevada County Board of Supervisors unanimously passed the resolution of support for the Nevada City Rancheria and our, our quest, our fight for the restoration of federal recognition. Their passing of this resolution is extremely important because we need to show our local community support before we start asking the rest of California legislators and then, of course, the rest of the country to support our restoration of federal recognition. How did the Nisinan lose recognition? In 1964, the Nevada City Rancheria was terminated by Congress. That was part of a legislative act and law that was passed by Congress between 1958 and 1965. And unfortunately, Nevada City Rancheria is one of three of the California rancherias that has not been restored its federal recognition. What's the benefit of having recognition? With federal recognition comes the access to the Native American Indian programs that are funded by the federal government and overseen and implemented by the federal government. These programs include housing, education, health, economic stability. But above everything, the most important thing is tribal sovereignty. And that gives the right to self-determination and self-governance so that the tribal people can continue to govern themselves in the way that they did before the settlement of this country. We are recording this in the space that when the paint dries and a few (laughs) other things happen, this is going to be your office. It's in the back of a rather large retail space on Broad Street. What's happening? So we are at 225 Broad Street, which is in the Oddfellows building. This chapter of the Oddfellows named themselves Ustama, which is the Nisanon name for Nevada City. We've all been kind of intrigued about how they came about choosing that name, the Ustama Lodge. Um, And so we have leased space here for two years. We are going to have guest Native American artists for art exhibits. We're going to sell retail of their fine arts and wares. I'm hoping that we will have some really beautiful things that people can take home from Native California. The opening will be announced, but it's not coming up for a few months. It's not coming up for a few months. I'm hoping we will have a soft opening in May. We will be opening in July for a hard opening, and that will open with our visibility through art program, which is 
a really exciting program that CHIRP started quite some years ago. You can always learn more on our website about visibility through art. Give us your website. You can go to nisinan.org, which is N-I-S-E-N-A-N.org, and then you can click into the CHIRP page from there. CHIRP being? CHIRP is the California Heritage Indigenous Research Project, which is our 501c3 nonprofit whose mission is to preserve, protect, and perpetuate Nisenan culture. How has the tribe been affected by COVID-19? Like many Native American communities, COVID-19 has impacted our tribal membership quite significantly. Many of our tribal members have gotten COVID. Some have long-lasting effects of the disease. We have not lost anyone, which I'm very, very thankful for. And of course, it's impacted CHIRP and our ability to do fundraising just like everybody else. Um, But we're hanging in there. There's been some great support and outreach from the community. People have joined our ARP program, which is the Ancestral Homelands Reciprocity Program, in ways that people who are living locally in Nisenan community can contribute to CHIRP to support the work that we're doing. Thanks very much. Thank you, Al. I'm speaking with Shelley Covert of the Nisinan Tribe. For KVMR, I'm Al Stoller. That's our newscast. Coming up next at 6.30, it's WINGS, the Women's International News Gathering Service, with a show on voting issues across the state of Texas. And at 7 p.m., it's Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. We get support from Zelmer Law Group, a real estate and business law firm with offices in Nevada City and Santa Rosa. Jay Zelmer has been practicing law in California since 1983. More information online at zelmerlawgroup.com. The KVMR Evening News is produced by KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza and airs Monday through Friday at 6 p.m. Have a great evening, and we'll see you tomorrow. (laughs) Ha <laughs> ha